0: Greetings all, welcome back to the Coptimizer podcast. Another exciting episode. I have street cop, street sergeant, street stoic on the line. Steve, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, it's great to be here. I'm glad we got to sit down and do this.
0: Yeah, we had a fun, uh, fun pre-conversation a few weeks ago and we were just, before we went live here, we were just saying we should have just recorded that. <laughs> Yeah,
1: we have been done by now.
0: (laughs) But, you know, we're cops, right? We're not necessarily uh, the smartest uh, knuckle draggers on the planet. So sometimes repetition is the key.
1: (laughs) I'm not here because I got A's in high school, right? All
0: right. Well, hey, um, why don't you kick us off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and then then we'll get right into it.
1: Sure, Uh, my name's Steve Sweeting. I am a Sergeant at a uh, mid-sized law enforcement agency in North Central Florida. And I don't normally talk about where I'm from, uh, you know, say what my agency is, but if you came to my town and you wanted to see a Tim Tebow statue, uh, we have plenty of Tim Tebow statues. And if you wanted to maybe see an alligator or or swamp, you could come here and we'd, we'd be able to hook you up. So I've been there about uh, going on 18 years now and uh, pretty much patrol the whole time. Uh, You know, midnight shift, uh, college town, Florida. uh, You know, we've had a lot of fun experiences and uh, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. So,
0: Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm in uh, Lafayette, West Lafayette here in Indiana, home of the Purdue Boilermakers, so I wanted to make a joke when you were where you're referencing where you're from, like, oh, so you're from Tallahassee, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> if you want me to end this interview right now, uh, you know, calling a Seminole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. While I am a Hoosier uh, from Indiana, I am not an Indiana Hoosier. I'm a boilermaker. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's all good. Yeah, policing in, in university towns or adjacent to university towns is. It can always be a little bit interesting. Absolutely. I digress. <laughs> so uh you you've been working the street and working midnight shifts. Are you still are you still working midnight shifts?
1: I, I am. I am still on midnight shift.
0: All right. How many uh, years is that now?
1: Uh this is 17 and some change.
0: Nice. That's you got me beat. There's not too many people I've chatted with that have me beat, but uh, I, I knew guys that did their entire careers on midnights though.
1: Well, you know, and I, my wife would prefer I go to day shift and, uh, you know, it'll probably happen one of these days pretty soon, but yeah, you know, I love, I love the people. I love the work and, you know, midnight shift, you, you constantly get, uh, you know the newer and newer officers right because they don't get to go anywhere else they have to come to mid so i'm always in the cycle of like training getting somebody spun up and about the time i get them right where they need to be they go off to a specialty unit or they have no seniority and go off the day shift so i'd like to say you know i i i am the training division of all the other divisions in the agency you know so
0: <laughs> well you know and it's any true midnight cop will say you know the night fighters it's like well i you know this is where all the real work gets done everybody else is you know just along for the ride right
1: right yeah you know we, we definitely get the the crazy stuff and but you know to tell you the truth like i can work a homicide or a robbery like nobody's business it it doesn't even raise my blood pressure anymore, but if you ask me to write a parking ticket, I would be lost in the sauce. Like there's just some things like I can't do. Uh, yeah.
0: So, all right. So let's just, we, let's get a few of these things out of the way. And um, the, it because we do want to come back to this when we, when we right. get into, into your book and, and, you know, in your journey into stoicism, but prior to that, right. One of the things that I've been in several conversations with on the show is about this new generation of cop, about how much different they are. And, you know, the question becomes, are they really that much different? And now I'll start with, there were, there was a time when like a lot of agencies work 12 hour shifts, a lot will work eight hour shifts. So you have three shifts in a day and some work 10 hour shifts, right? Either way, it's 24 hours in a day. Somebody's got to work overnight and It seems right. So some of the crusty, salty veterans will tell you that, oh, man, all I ever wanted to do was work nights until they made me go to a different shift. Right. But now this generation is kind of there are actually there have been times where we've had brand new officers that have been forced to go to day shift because the night shifts have filled up. Mm -hmm. um, And when we do when we do shift beds. so they they actually have to go to day shift.
1: We're seeing that, too, uh, for the first time in forever is, uh, yeah, it's weird. You know, you'll have brand new officers on days, which never happened before. But I I think the, you know, the saltier, older guys, you know, are starting to say, you know, what night, you know, appreciating what they have and knowing, you know, night shift is where it's at. And they don't want to give that up for the new guys. So, yeah, that's interesting.
0: And, and I've mentioned this a few times now, outside of my tenure as a chief, you know, obviously as a chief, I was, I worked day shift. Um, but I can say that I worked my entire career without ever working a day shift in patrol assigned to the patrol division on day shift, which is kind of weird, you know, yeah. thinking back, like I, I did like my first 10, it was like 10 years on night's. Uh, outside of, well, it was longer than that, but outside of like when I got promoted to sergeant, um, they pulled me off nights and made me work afternoons and then it was like 4 four in the afternoon to midnight, which generally you then wind up working until like 2 in the morning anyway so right. it was kind of like a pseudo night shift, but it still wasn't a day shift.
1: Yeah, and that, that's basically what they did to me. I got, I got promoted and chief called me and said, hey, uh, next week you're your sergeant congratulations and you're going to be on day shift and at that point i'd been on midnights for 14 15 years so i was like oh, all right well i guess if i'm going to take the promotion i got to go to days and that comes with the territory and uh, yeah i did it for two months until we had our shift pick then i got promptly pushed right back to mids and you know i was you know uh like you know, please don't throw me in the briar patch. Please don't do that. <laughs> you know, so right, right back to edge, right back to where I was comfortable. And, uh, you know, been there ever since. So,
0: well, you know, night shift is just different. Um, one of the things that that's always hard to get used to when you when you work days compared to nights is just, just traffic just every day, right. every day life. You know, things it just takes longer to get places uh, you know, it, it, people wave to you, they smile at you, uh, they do things like that, like uh, on the night shift, you don't see as much of that kind of thing, but
1: No, that, it's, um, you know, you see the old Superman, like comic books and uh, cartoons and, you know, Bizarro Land, like where everything's, you know, different. That That's what Daisha <laughs> feels like to me. It's like, why, why is this guy waving at me, you know? Did, <laughs> did somebody just get robbed? Like, what's happening? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, now since this is the optimizer podcast and we're talking about cop optimization
1: okay the,
0: now here's the downside right here's the part that where we maybe need to spend a little bit of time and, and think about maybe it is time to go to day shift if you're starting to think about longevity and how working nights how working shift work can negatively impact your long-term well-being if yeah, there is really kind of no way, no two ways about it. Working nights, you know, working against your circadian rhythm, even if you're a, you know, a night owl and, you know, not a lark, you know, not a morning type right. person. Um, there are things that y- you really need to do to make sure that you're protecting your sleep time and that you're getting good sleep. And that is very difficult to do when you are working nights, especially if if you work an active shift, if you work a lot of cases if you're getting subpoenaed a lot um, and then, you know, really how agency training and everything, you know, the rest of the world operates on a daytime schedule. So there are only a few professions that really focus on a nighttime schedule. And generally people on that day shift forget or just generally assume that everybody else is like them.
1: Oh yeah. You know, and uh, I like to think that I hack midnights pretty well and, you know, I enjoy it. But, you know, I have struggled with the mood shifts, the lack of sleep, you know, I've gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight, gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight. Uh, You you know, I've been through pretty much every bit of that negative stuff that comes along with the shift work and the midnights. And yeah, it probably trimmed a couple of years off my life, you know, overall. So it's, you know, I always tell people, you know, when it comes to midnight shift, if you're going to be on it, you have to commit. You have to just 100% say I am a nighttime person now. And because I think where people have most of the trouble is they try to do too much. They try to be up during the day. They try to do all their normal activities, catch a nap, and then somehow work all night too. And something's going to give at some point, you know, me personally, I'm pretty good at excluding everything and just saying, don't call me. I'm turning off my phone blacking out the room, turning on the noise machine and just tuning out from the world. But a lot of people can't do that. They can't make that separation. You know, I know one guy who crashed his car and, you know, he was so tired. And I was like, why would you, you know, what was the problem? He's like, well, I had to keep letting my dogs out. Man, who is in charge of your life? You are the dogs, right? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know, it's a commitment, you know, if you're going to do it long term.
0: Yeah. Well, since we're on the subject, let's let's just so if you're someone that's been working nights for a while and you're listening to this or you're getting ready to go to nights, let's just let's just get some pointers and some tips out of the way right now. And here's what I tell everyone that's going to night shift. It'll be some of the funnest work and the most rewarding work that you'll do. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love my time on night shift. And it was really Uh, And I've talked about this a couple of times where I knew I was probably done for because I started uh, with the police department when I was 27. But when I went into the service right out of high school, I worked security police. So I I was working a six on three off schedule where I worked three days from four to midnight, three days then from midnight to 8 a.m. And then I would have three days off and then I repeated that. And so I I was young, though. Right. And when you're young, you can absorb a lot of this, but sometimes you don't know up from down. And then there was a time where I was working. Eight hour shifts where I worked two day shifts, then two after night afternoon shifts, then one midnight shift and then two days off. So, yeah, that was brutal. I don't know whose dumb idea that was, but um, even as a young person, Mm -hmm. I didn't know up from down and. You know, I found myself like falling asleep at really odd times and just, yeah, it was that was so at a young age, I was exposed to what a what a repetitive poor sleep cycle can do for you. But yeah, then I went to college and uh, when I got out of the service, I went to college and I bartended. So I worked nights. I was working almost 40 Mm -hmm. hours a week at night. So I I, I was up at school during the day. And then I would, you know, a lot of times you're working six at night to two in the morning when you're working in a bar. Now it, that was a lot of fun. It created some yeah. of the challenges, but so when I rolled into policing, it was kind of like, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like working nights. Yeah. That's just, that's just what I've done. i mean, I, yeah. like, got oh, people like, do you think you'll be able to do that? I'm just like, well, why wouldn't I? You know? Right? Like, <laughs> I really <laughs> do when,
1: when else am I supposed to be away?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you know, there was some other extracurricular activities in my youth that kept me up at you know, Right. Way probably way too late at night, but you know all those things catch up to you. Now, on, what the point I was getting to is when I turned like forty, I was going through uh, staff and command school, and it was two weeks on, two weeks off. For, so it's a three month school, so that pushes that school out to a six month time frame. Right. So I was working midnight shifts, so I was working two weeks on midnights, and then going to school during the day in the classroom for you know for two weeks. Uh-huh. And we had three kids and our youngest was just a couple months old at the time. So that was that yeah. was that it, it, when I went back to work at uh-huh. the end of that six months, you know, shortly thereafter, I I, I went to uh, uh, work narcotics. And so that was, you know, again, that was more of an evening night schedule for the most part. But um, yeah, I didn't know which way it was up and that like yeah. like your one one of your officers saying you crashed his car. I've told this story a few times. I, there was one day I, I lived 13.1 miles from, you know, from my driveway to the PD. And there was a, there was one day I found myself sitting in my car at the end of my driveway.
1: No idea. With,
0: with my foot <laughs> on the brake cars running. <laughs> and I had no idea how I got there. I like, I don't Absolutely. remember the drive home. Uh, and you know, that was the point where I was like, okay, this is not good. Like uh, something, you know, <laughs> I have done I, that, I,
1: yeah. <laughs> it,
0: can, it can be a little scary. You're like, oh man, I'm glad I didn't crash into anybody or hurt somebody or hurt myself for that matter.
1: Well, and you know, that was like after you were 40, right? Mm-hmm. And when when you and you know that the kids these days they have a saying, you know, they say, It just hits different. You know, and <laughs> after forty, man, that just hits different. Changing your schedule and being up all night, it, it is a different beast altogether. So
0: so you mentioned uh, it, at your house and then so when you're when you're protecting your schedule and you yes. work during the night and you're trying to sleep during the day, you really do have to do things like put tinfoil or whatever it takes on your on your windows. You know, people think yeah. you got a little grow operation going in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. You know, when it's just because you're you're trying to keep all the light out. And that that would be my number one recommendation for people is. You got to stick to the schedule That's right. Um, as much as as much as possible. Go to bed at the same time. Try to wake up at the same time. Make sure you are in complete darkness with a with a noisemaker, a fan, a yes. su- you know, and try to ge- keep the room that you're sleeping as cool as possible.
1: Right. Exactly. Cool and dark, right. um, you know, get that noise machine. And, you know, also, you know, a a very strict workout routine will help you a lot you know if you if you just wake up it doesn't matter if you're waking up in the afternoon time you know just what would a normal person do they would wake up they would eat their breakfast they would go do their morning workout and then they'll go to work you have to do the same thing you have to you know have a normal routine And don't just go about the whims of whatever everybody wants you to do. Just say, hey, this is how I'm living my life. And this is what I do. And that way, when you go to lay down in the morning, you're actually tired. You're physically and mentally tired and not just, you know, mentally tired. So.
0: So one of the things that we like to do as cops is most of us like to drink coffee. And when you're working a night shift, it's easy to drink a lot of coffee. Coffee is high in cortisol. Yes. So. Um, cortisol is, is, is generally your body starts to produce cortisol early in the morning in, 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 as, when you wake up and that's, that's the energy time of the day. So artificially, uh, kicking that process off or trying to sustain that process now can be detrimental to sleep. And, and caffeine generally has like a, have a half-life of like, like six to 12 hours. So if you drink a cup of coffee, it really, you could have that, you know, depending on the, how much caffeine is in there, depending on how your body processes caffeine.
1: Right.
0: So if you go to, if you go to work at 10 o'clock at night and you, you drink coffee until two in the morning, um, it's, you're, right. you're really looking at two in the afternoon, noon to two in the afternoon, the next day before the, your body is processed all that caffeine. So if you're going to bed at eight or nine in the morning, your first right. few hours of sleep, you're not getting deep sleep and you know the first 90 minutes is generally when you get the most deep sleep um, you know we we don't need we don't need to make this podcast about sleep but no <laughs> you know you get into these sleep cycles and yeah. um, you know that's that's when you start to see you know your brain goes through a flushing when you get into rem sleep or you know the the storing of information there, there's a lot of very important stuff that happens during sleep so let's just end it by saying this do what you can to protect your sleep um, there's Some great books out there. Um, sure. I would say Matthew Walker's book, why we sleep is probably the best sleep. He's probably one of the world's best experts on sleep. Um, Doc uh, Kirk Parsley has got some great information Sean Stevenson. Um, who's, there's a few others that I've read. I've read a lot about sleep, um, but you can't well, go and, backwards in time.
1: Well, yeah. And you know, the, I'll say this just before we get off the topic is you know, the the young guys, they live off these energy drinks. And I don't know if you've had one of these monsters or bang energy drinks, you know, in the last couple of years, but that is high octane stuff. Uh, And, you know, they wonder why, you know, they drink that all night and then they can't get to sleep in the morning. Or when they do have that citizen counter and all of a sudden they're, they're getting all emotional and they're yelling and they're getting shaky and they're, you know, they're not in very good control. And it's, you know, well, you're you're jacking your adrenal system up, you know, artificially with these just high power energy drinks. And then you wonder why, you know, you're you're so shaky and so on edge, you know. It's just get some good sleep and don't lean on that as a crutch. You'll find that your day probably goes a lot better and you're not so, you know, flying off the handle also.
0: Yeah so that's a great segue right because it does really come down to emotional control right. and uh, emotional control is is really as much uh, there's there's as much physiology involved in this as there is psychology involved in this right. and you know the you can't separate the two they are interconnected whether and and right. so for the people that you know kind of have that mindset that i can power through well you can for a while but it's you know it's not a problem till it's a problem, right? Yeah, and, exactly, and then, exactly. Then it's a problem. Yeah.
1: Then it's a real problem.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you've and if you've done something, you know that is incredibly incredibly silly. Uh, hopefully, it's not something that's going to be a career-ending mistake. But when you're right. you know you know emotionally dysregulated, it's very difficult to make good decisions. And so, from an optimization and a peak performance perspective you've got to take all these things into consideration.
1: So absolutely. Yeah.
0: So was this, so was there something in your midnight journey that led you to this uh, journey towards studying the Stoics and this path towards Stoicism? And what, what, what was that like? And, and how do, how do we start down this path?
1: Sure. I mean, You you know, and the story is, uh, I think, probably one that most of the listeners, you know, anybody in law enforcement can probably relate to, Um, you you know, and my my story isn't very dramatic. Like, I didn't get bit by like a radioactive philosopher. And then the next day I woke (laughs) up with these superpowers like this took place over the course of several years. And uh, but, you know, I was a cop. And, you know, on my leadership journey, you know, going from corporal to sergeant and, you know, the last seven, five to seven years have been rough on all of us. And, you know, we're we're having all the civil unrest and all the, you know, the media and the war on cops and everything, you know, the defunding and it just seems like everything was piling up piling up. Meanwhile, uh, you know, all the experienced officers, anybody who could retire was retiring Uh, people that could go to a closet or get out of there, you know, were. So we were losing all of our experience We're you know, staffing was hitting the gutter. Meanwhile, crime was going through the roof. And um, here I am being basically thrust into leadership positions with officers who are young people, well-meaning young people, but they don't have any experience. And I had to find a way to lead them Uh, and I had to find a way to show them uh, basically, you know, how to be a police officer, how, how we do what we do. And I realized pretty quickly that they did not have like the coping skills that you would expect to see out of a seasoned police officer. And, you know, I was struggling with a lot of it, you know, I was getting angry and uh, getting nervous and anxious about, you know, the situations that I'm, having to handle i had already read a couple of uh, books that touched on stoicism from an author called ryan holiday and he wrote a book uh, called ego is the enemy and that was suggested to me by a friend uh, who you know when i first got promoted he, you know he's like hey don't let your head get big read this book and but it really opened my world to stoicism and i just started you know finding myself going back to materials that were Stoic or things like Stoic. So, you know, I also got into Jocko Wilnick and uh, uh, David Goggins. He has a very Stoic mentality in a lot of ways. Uh, And then, um, you know, I went back and read a little more Ryan Holiday and decided I was going to go to the source material. And I read, I bought Meditations off of Amazon. That's Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And after reading that book, I was sold. I was all in. I found that, you know, oh, wow, this is actually a toolkit. These are all tools that I can use, and these are all things that I can put to work on the job. So I just kind of covertly, secretly uh, started applying it and just said, let me see if I can put these principles to work. I think I understand it after reading a few books. Let me see how that applies to law enforcement. And my results were phenomenal. Uh, So... Yeah, basically, I just very quietly was in the laboratory, putting stuff to work and helping officers, helping myself. All my relationships were getting better. I, you know, started losing a bunch of weight. That combined with my, you know, run every day, <laughs> workout plan, But uh, and more on that later. But, yeah, it all started coming together for me, and I just uh, realized that, look, this is something that law enforcement officers can really benefit from. And when I started looking for, you know, the people that were teaching stoicism, to police officers, I came up pretty dry. There was only one or two things out there and I realized, all right, now I know what I got to do. I, <laughs> I,
0: got, I got to <laughs> get to work. Calling.
1: That's right. So, you know, it found me and it was, you know, that was a process of a couple years of just, you know, Reading the material, practicing it, and then putting it to work. So, so
0: one of the first things that I think that anyone that begins to read the Stoics, uh, the first lesson really is, is that y- your problems are not unique.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and what and I, you know, one thing I think is really fascinating about the Stoics and the Stoic philosophers, and you know, all the things we're going to talk about here is they wrote this stuff 2,000, years ago. And it, we're sitting here today talking about it on a video conference. And we're going to broadcast this to, you know, I don't know. What do you got? Millions of listeners? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Someday, let's hope, right? <laughs> but,
1: but it's still relevant to us today. And actually, it's so useful that I'm amazed that they don't teach us in police academies everywhere.
0: Well it's probably time that we do go back and teach some of this in at the academy level, because really stoicism is really just about understanding yourself. Absolutely. And um, that's, that was some of the biggest takeaways that, that I had when I first got into it. And when I first got introduced to it, now I'm not at the, at the advanced street stoic level that you are. um, But it's something that that I put into practice uh several years ago and I, I can talk a little bit about that but sure it's been it's been very beneficial to me as well and the the curious thing about it is it doesn't matter where you are in your in your journey it doesn't matter if you're in policing or not but I think particularly in this in this time period for cops for all the reasons that you were talking about cops do, Uh, feel like they're on an Island. And in many cases they are, it's a legitimate feeling. However, some of the problems that can begin to percolate from that is we is a little bit of isolationism, right? We begin to think that nobody understands that closes us off even more, not even, you know, not just from like the communities that we're working in, but even, even our own agencies among shifts like Uh day shifts and night shifts and detectives and patrol admin and everybody else, uh, and then, (laughs) and then even at home, right. Like, you know, and that's where, that's where things can really start to accelerate. The doom loop can, can pick up a lot of velocity. And, and if you're not careful. You know, it can ruin you. It can suck you Absolutely. in. And yeah. next thing you know, you're you're that burnout, bitter old cop that you never mm-hmm. wanted to spend time with when right. you were a young officer. Right. Like those people, you could pick them out just like that. You, you know, like yeah. I got to avoid that person.
1: Well, exactly. You know, and one comment I'm getting from a lot of people, you know, are reading the book and they're like, you know, I talk about somebody who does this or does a behavior and and they're they're telling me, oh, yeah, I know that guy you know i thought you were writing about this one guy i know and it's like no i think we all have them in our agencies right like mm-hmm. it's it's almost a natural cycle and if you're not careful you're going to fall into it
0: yeah well right that's the old saying every be careful about pointing a finger right because right. for everyone yeah. i point th- at yeah. you there's three pointing back at me exactly and and th- there is lesson number 1 oh, i don't know maybe it's lesson 5 already 10 on <laughs> for the episode But if you find yourself thinking about that, about another officer, and this was a mistake that I'll just be flat out honest. Like when I was younger, I was just, I was worried about everybody else. And then I never took time to consider the possibility
1: that
0: I was a version of that myself. It just depended on who was, you know, who was looking at me and.
1: uh, Oh, same here. Guilty, guilty. I mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's, it really is fascinating. And. Um, I've, I've learned a ton. So before, before I get into kind of saying, you know, where, you know, where I started it, maybe, maybe give us an example of when you, when you first started reading this and you first started absorbing it and how did you, know, like, how did you put it into practice? What were some of the, what were some of the things? Cause it's one thing to read it and be like, oh, okay. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Now, now it's another thing to actually put it into practice. What do I do?
1: So, one one of the very first, and I won't I won't quote a uh, chapter and verse, but uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Uh, the The book begins with probably. 10 20 percent of the book is oh there you go i'm
0: going to show a copy of it here for absolutely you know, for people that are watching on youtube but
1: and you know mine is always close at hand too right oh we um, have the same yeah we've got the same yeah we've got cool. the same version you know yeah. lots of notes uh, but you know the it starts out you know it's a lot of thank yous it's thank yous and what he's learned from friends and family he's expressing a lot of get, gratitude but You know, when you first get into the meat and potatoes of what he's writing outside of, you know, him, basically the acknowledgments he's making. uh, You know, the very first thing in I think it's book two, chapter one, he starts uh, uh, saying, you know, oh, here it is. I found it right here. When you wake up in the morning, tell yourself the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. They're like me because... They can't tell good from evil, but I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil. And I had recognized the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own. So he goes on in that chapter, but basically he's saying, this is his personal diary. And he's saying, remember, when you get up today, when you go out and deal with people, they're going to be assholes. It, but also remember, you know, they're like you, you are like them. And, you know, he goes on to explain that they can't make you have a bad day. They can't make you reply negatively. And all he has to do is remember that they're people too and treat them accordingly and be a good man, regardless of how somebody else acts. So he starts it out with that verse. And I often read that before I get out of my patrol car, before I go, you know, before I go start a shift. Before I go into a big meeting where I know people are going to argue and be contentious and, you know, be stabbing each other in the back and trying to one up each other, like, you already know what's going to happen. If you just expect it and accept it, then your day is going to go better. You are you know what you're dealing with. That helps me immensely. And that is the first paragraph in the book. And it's given me a, a huge advantage in life. So... Yeah, and the rest of it is just hit after hit. I mean, it's it's amazing philosophy once you get into it.
0: And it's, what, over 20, over 2,000 years old? Yes. So these lessons um, are, they're not anything new. And it, like in this period of policing where things, you know, there is a lot of anti-cop rhetoric. We're in a very, you know, there's a very decisive and divisive environment, you know, in that gap in terms of right. politicization, you know, polarization of, policing and communities. So Marcus Aurelius was, uh, you know, he was emperor in a time of plague. Right. And and so, you know, while a lot of people of means moved out of the cities and, you know, moved to areas where they could isolate themselves and protect themselves and their family, they had the means to do it. Uh, he could have very easily done that right. and most actually expected that he would, but he never did. He... He stayed and, you know, quite frankly, sold off a lot of the a lot of the royal family's wealth in order yes. to raise money to help, um, you know, to help keep the empire afloat, so to speak. Right. Um, and and he so he lived every day with the with the constant you know, possibility that he might get sick and he might die. And, right. you know, for police officers, they they're experiencing, you know, something very similar, right? You go out every night, at least you should, with the realization that this might be it. This thing, you know, tonight might be my night. It might be Absolutely. because of something silly I do, um, or it might be because of something external that's completely out of my control.
1: Exactly, you know, and, uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius even said, you know, and I'm going to butcher the quote here because that's what I do. I butcher still at quotes. Um at least verbally, you know, in the book, they're all pretty accurate. Uh, But, you know, he said, I can leave this world at any minute, you know, let that determine what you do and say and think, right. You know, constantly be aware you could die any second now. And what do you, you know, how do you want to go out? What do you want to be known for? What do you want your last words or actions to be? Do you want to be complaining about command staff and, bitching in the parking lot or do you want to be doing something that matters right so
0: <laughs> yeah it's always uh you know it's funny you should bring that up because uh, somebody had posed a question to me recently about um actually it was a discussion that was going it was on LinkedIn in uh you know an officer with the advent of body cameras too, that's just a whole nother added stress oh, for oh, police yeah. officers that are out there because mm-hmm. when that thing is turned on, you, you just are guarded. You're just constantly right. guarded about what you say. And if you're around somebody and you know that they've got a body camera on,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, then then you're you're just not natural, right? You don't say mm-hmm. things that you normally would. Um, but there's always those times when officers unfortunately leave their cameras on.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We got Martin Scorsese, you know, recording every comment and uh, you know, and it's always the guy that wants to come uh, up right beside you kind of quietly. Like you don't know he's there and you turn around and you're like, Oh, how long have you been there? You know? <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny. It reminded me when I was in the service, we had this little game that we used to play with each other where you would, uh, where you would try to trick somebody into saying something. Right. Uh, <laughs> that they shouldn't probably say but you would key up your mic you like kind of have an open mic you you like you, oh, yeah. they, like you get somebody fired up and then you key your mic up and then you get, <laughs> so there's there's an Let open mic it. It yeah. over the, <laughs> <laughs> well now with body cameras so, you know sometimes uh it, it, you know and as a chief you know I had you know there were times when you know things got brought to my attention and you know, for me, it's like, look, you know, whether the camera's off or on, I know yeah. there's always going to be times when people agree with me. There's going to be times when they disagree. There's going to be t- people that like me. There's going to be people that don't like me. And here's a lesson for leaders out there that the Stoics, you know, th- that would also impart on you, right? Is that is that you can't spend your time worrying about what other people think of you. yeah? so you... Uh, Mm -hmm. And you can't worry about petty things like that. You just have to focus on the things that, that you really, you have to be living in the present and worried about what you're doing right now, not looking in the rearview mirror.
1: No. Yeah. The the Stoics would tell you, you know, if they lived in the time of body cameras, they would just turn around and tell you, uh, you know, what somebody else thinks about you is absolutely none of your business. And that, uh, you know, if, if somebody dislikes you or, you know, doesn't respect you, that's not your business, but your only job is to, you know, not do anything that is, you know, disrespectful or, you know, anything that is embarrassing. That's the only thing you can control anyways. Right. And that would be the stoic dichotomy of control of where, you know, really the only things in this world you have control over are the things that you do and say, not other people.
0: So um... I'll get, I'll just touch on, on one of my routines that I have. And I started, sure. so I, I have, uh, I can't, I can't show you on the camera now, but I have in the, in the corner of my, my office, my home office, I have a, a small little meditation chair. And I think I've had that thing for, gotta be seven or eight years. And I started this process of trying to meditate and I used to think I sucked at it. Um, and, and and then it took me a while to realize that, well, there really is no sucking at it. You know, it's just the act of doing it is, Mm -hmm. is really what matters. And, and, and then just try not to beat yourself up over whether I suck at this or not. Am I doing it right? Well, there, you know, there's different techniques and there's different styles and there's Mm -hmm. different outcomes that you can, that you can try to get from it. But uh, I did that for a while and then I started using a a muse headband to be able to kind of give me some data and give me some feedback. But it wasn't until I, I worked with a coach, I worked with a performance coach, not from a sports perspective, but like an executive life coach right? where, you know, he had told me, he's like, have you ever read the Stoics? And I was like, well, I have, like I actually, I read ego and ego is the enemy was probably one of the first books that I had read that kind of introduced me to yeah. some of these concepts and philosophies. It's a great um, starter book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I number, it's one that I would highly encourage others, others to read. And then really even just sign up for uh, his newsletter, the daily stoic uh, yes. Ryan holidays. And, and of course we'll get to yours as, as well sure. Um, for, for the street cop.
1: i know Ryan holiday now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in terms of a routine, if you know building into your daily routine, uh, uh, some mindfulness practice, um, you know i do some stretching in it and then there is there is a part of it where i spend 10 minutes uh, just reading um the stoics or it, it can be anything really i just choose to read the stoics because again there's a lot of just ancient wisdom there uh right. what's old is new again and, and not everything has to be ancient like um I'll show, I've, I've got a couple here because there's some examples i wanted to bring up but like Stephen yeah. Pressfield, uh, if you—I don't know if you've read Stephen Pressfield's um, work, but you know, do the work. I, I think it, it. these are really quick reads mm-hmm. um, that I just—I—I I really find fascinating, and I can't—I can't even recommend this enough. And then after I had started reading uh, Meditations, um, there was a lot of references to Seneca in there, and so oh yeah, so I went and got uh, this little one. It's called On the Shortness of Life. And this yes. is, this is another really good starter, uh, a good starter book for people that might be interested in it, but just 10 minutes, you know, Absolutely. not, you know, you don't have to sit, this is not stuff that you want to sit down and, and read for hours on end. You can, I mean, if, if, you, if it's engaging you or it's really uh, causing some, some thought provocation within yourself and you know, getting you to challenge yourself, then then right. great. But just, you know, just dedicating yourself, I'm going to just read like two or three pages at a time.
1: Yeah. And it's probably best that you do it that way, you know, because some of the stuff is, you know, one little passage can have a lot of implications to your life and you want to take a minute and just, you know, kind of sit with the idea for a minute and see what that means to you. And yeah, it's not something where you're just going to read it all and you're going to know it. It's, it's something that we do every day. Um, The Stoics, you know, they, they, equate it to almost like you know living a healthy lifestyle it's not like a medication you take all at once and then all of a sudden you're better it's you eat healthy every day you follow a healthy lifestyle every day Uh, and that's that's how they suggest that you use the philosophy also is something that's ongoing that's part of your life not just a a cure for something that's wrong
0: yeah and the again the fascinating thing is you pick any of these books up and you start reading them like i like I'll read just a couple. Like I've got this uh, on shortness. I've got a bunch of lines just this either highlighted or underlined. Right. And if I, it doesn't really matter which one I pick. If I just pick one and start reading it, and then think about like um, how how does this impact me, and how does it impact right. my day? How do mm-hmm. you know? Does this relate to me as as a professional police officer? Um, but yeah, so here's here's this one part where I have. It, and I'm not even going to go before or after. Right. Life is divided into three periods, past, present, and future. Of these, the present is short, the future is doubtful, and the past is certain. For this last is the one, the one over which fortune has lost her power, which cannot be brought back to anyone's control. So, um, and if you read the next one, but this is what preoccupied... People. This is what preoccupied people lose for they have no time to look back at their past. And even if they did, it is not pleasant to recall activities that they are ashamed of. So we go back to we were just talking about the body camera stuff, but. Past, present and future.
1: Exactly. And, you you know, like like you said, you know, it was that easy to draw a line from a random passage in Seneca to body cameras today. Yes. And that's all I do. I do the easiest thing in the world. I take a highly relevant philosophy, and I hand it to cops because nobody else is doing it. And that's exactly, you know, what you just did there. And uh, stoicism is full of those kind of correlations. Right. In fact, I started doing a uh, little video series just recently. I call it random meditations where I grab meditations and I go to a random page. I open it up. I read the chapter and I go, okay, and this is how it applies to cops, you know, like because you can do that pretty much any page of any of the Stoics.
0: And what it's so a couple of other people you talked about when you first started down this path, like, like Jocko or, or David right. Goggins. I mean, it's interesting because, I I think police officers tend to, you know, people like that resonate with them because there's, you know, it's very challenging, uh, you know, lifestyle, you know, and it's, you know, putting yourself at risk, putting yourself out there. But Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership, really is, I, it's like a modern version of stoicism. A lot of those lessons are really just baked in, you know, if you really think extreme ownership, taking accountability and in, in multiplying it, multiplying it by a thousand. Like if, right. if you just learn to look at everything that you find yourself trying to make excuses for. Right. And then just, and then trying to accept it as you're like, okay, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, It's amazing what starts to happen.
1: No, exactly. You know, and I actually thought Jocko was just, rebranding stoicism i actually watched a podcast where him and ryan holiday had a nice long conversation and he said basically you know because he does hard things and he you know is basically in danger trying to live a very you know disciplined life that he came to the same answers that stoics did without having actually studied their material and i thought that was great how you know it's People who are trying to find the same answers uh, can come to them from different directions, you know. And so, like Jocko's extreme ownership, that's uh, that falls a lot in line with uh, the Stoic concept of amor fati, which I just got. I don't know if you can see it. Oh just yeah, nice. There you go. Uh, so it's it. I want to see it a hundred times a day, and you know that means love your fate or accept everything that happens, and that's not a far cry from extreme ownership, right? It's just applying that to yourself, is what Jocko does. So yeah,
0: and Brian Johnson did something. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Johnson, and, but he he has a similar one where he he has Arate, um, tattooed on his arm. Um, it, 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 that that's 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 interesting. All right. Um, so there's there's a lot of for somebody for somebody that's never read Meditations. um, you know what what might be like a, a like like a good a good piece of advice for them to think about like as as they start down this journey
1: so as they start to if they want to get into you yeah know, like, hey, Stoics i'm curious and... i want to
0: learn i want to learn more like hey this is resonating with me like because if you jump in and just try like i said earlier if you just try to jump in and like read a chapter Right. You might just fry yourself out on day one.
1: Yeah. And you might, you know, and uh, there's a lot of good books out there on stoicism. Uh, There's one I'm reading right now, um, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness. And uh, the author is Donald Robertson. And I don't know if you can see how many (laughs) notes I have in this book. Uh, But what I would suggest is this, you know, before before you get into reading Seneca or Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius pick up one of the more modern books where it is spoon-fed to you and you can understand the concepts so that when you do because there's really only four or five main concepts in Stoicism and then a whole bunch of like techniques that you can practice but if you understand the main concepts like amor fati, memento mori, the, the dichotomy of control the or the uh discipline of aversion and attraction if you can understand those things then when you're reading through meditations it's going to make a lot more sense to you and you can see what he's getting at um but yeah it's that's what i would suggest is go ahead and get a you know stoicism for dummies kind of books uh you know, that that's how I started my book. Uh before I get into explaining everything about, you know, how to apply this to police work, I basically just give an overview of the main concepts. And that way you're not lost or just trying to figure out what you know why this guy's saying, you know, it's it's your fault that you're miserable or whatever. Cause it might sound, you know, without being versed in it a little bit, you might you might be like, hey, this guy's being mean to me. And he's not. He's just telling you everything's under your control. So if you're happy, that's within your control. If you're upset, that's within your control also. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because in today's world, right, uh, and and I like to point this out, like, with millennials, millennials were raised by Gen Xers,
1: right? Right, so, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You know, if we if we want to if we want to point the finger again at anybody, we really kind of need to point it, you know, for me, for people in my, you know, you know, that's the baby boomer boomers have aged out the Gen Xers and and those now this this new generation is coming up. It it does at times feel like people don't want to accept responsibility for themselves and for their actions and that they want to hand over control of these things to other people. Right. Um, and uh, Jonathan Haidt in his book The Coddling of the American Mind, you know right. they they really hit on this concept of safetyism. Uh-huh. That and safetyism it means a lot of things, but it, it's for if you haven't read that book, I I strongly encourage people to read it, especially police officers, police leaders, when you're trying to understand this generation. It's it's a great book to read, but when you turn over the responsibility for your own happiness and your own safety. Right. Then you're always relying on somebody else to give it to you. Exactly. And, and when you re- when you really kind of think on that for a minute, it's like, okay, that that's going to be that's going to be problematic.
1: Right. You're gonna be miserable. That person can never give you enough validation. They can never give you everything you need. And even if they do, it's going to lose all value to you pretty quickly. So.
0: So for a police officer, right? For a for a young police officer and you get exposed, you like maybe you've only been on the job for a couple of years or you're just starting and you're or you're in a community where maybe there's a lot of anti-police rhetoric. There's a lot of stuff on social media. There's things on in the newspaper. There, if you live in a university town, right, there's right. always mm-hmm. a bunch of academics that always know better about what you should be doing and how you right. should be doing it, even though they've never spent a, a day in a squad car. Um, you know, it. you can really kind of start to, to, uh, I think, give in to some of that negativity.
1: Sure, sure.
0: And so what would be maybe, what is a strategy for a young police officer now studying the Stoics? What do you think that they can gain from it that's going to improve their performance on the job
1: so yeah i mean that is that's, that's probably a big a whole, question but. yeah that's probably another podcast um you know what they're gonna get the most immediate results you're gonna get is increased resiliency um the uh there's a university does something called stoic week where they give uh college students basically <laughs> a little handbook and they say hey, you know, this is stoicism, here's the basics, read this, practice it, come back in a week, you know, try to try to use it, come back in a week, tell us how you feel, you know, and pretty consistently, these are, you know, like Berkeley kind of college students. And even they are saying, you know, oh, yeah, I feel about 15%, you know, less anxious, I feel, you know, 20% more confident or more resilient. And that's, that's one of the first things that police officers, are you know, we're already a tougher people that, You know, kind of accept a lot of these things to start with, so we're not going to have that hurdle of like, you know, I'm responsible for my actions, right? We're not going to have to, we're not going to have to fight that, or like the concept of you know, being a good person will ultimately lead you to be a happy person. We're a little more comfortable with that than I think probably the average average person is. So, immediately, a police officer is going to start to experience a little more resiliency, and they're going to care less about the negatives. Uh, all the little negatives are just, they're, they're not going to hit you as hard. They're, you're going to be more uh, aware of the fact that this is something that's outside of your control and therefore you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, moving forward, there's a lot of benefits as far as, you know, the techniques as dealing with stress and dealing with those critical incidents or the hot calls, things like that. There's a lot of stuff that you can practice in stoicism, that'll help you be better at your job. And once you you realize like, oh, this can actually help me handle a robbery call, or I can, this thing I had a problem with before, all of a sudden, it's not a problem. Or, you know, I I always say like, turn the dial, you know, it's 20% less difficult. Once you have those realizations, you won't need Steve to tell you about stoicism anymore, because you'll go buy every book on Amazon. And you'll consume it because you you realize the value of it
0: well when they do that hopefully they'll start with your book right street <laughs> yes
1: hopefully hopefully they uh yeah. you know my, my book should probably be somewhere around the beginning of your journey because uh it, it is fairly basic as far as stoicism books goes uh, i wanted to make it very accessible so that anybody could just pick it up and run with it
0: well i, I want to touch on it because it the just the first part cracked me up. Like the, <laughs> as we're we we're talking about the new generation, the trigger warnings and disclaimers.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So
0: so the first warnings. Um. You know the author takes no responsibility. That's funny. Um, <laughs> he takes no responsibility for any of your jacked up decisions or any part of your life. <laughs> All of your actions, opinions, and thoughts are outside of his control.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you you, you could tell I was deep down the stoic rabbit hole when I wrote that. And, uh, but, you know, I teach this to young people and I teach this to newer cops. And that is the first thing you need to hear is, look, I'm not responsible for your bullshit. You know, that's, I, I can't, I can't fix you. You can fix you. You can use this to fix yourself, but Steve can't do it. And if you're, if you want to be offended, you're going to be offended within the first page. I promise you that if, if you don't reach 10 pages in and you're not offended, like, and you probably don't want to be that offended, but it's uh it, if you want to be pissed off about something I wrote, it, it's in there. I promise. you.
0: So the second trigger warning is profanity, right?
1: Right. Um, yeah.
0: This book has bad words. <laughs> it takes a hard look at reality. If you want to be offended, you came to the right place. Absolutely. Now, if you're somebody that is offended by profanity, like policing might be a difficult place to work, right? Because you're going exactly. to get it everywhere you go. And right. it might not be from your supervisor or your coworkers. It's for certain going to be people that you deal with uh, uh when you when you hit the street and it's not it's not a matter of if it happens to you, it's when, how frequently and how vehemently they they uh they spew their poison at
1: you right right yeah i mean it's it's street stoic it's not ivory tower stoic right it's not <laughs> it's not church choir stoic it, if you're on the street you're going to hear street language and you're going to deal with street shit. that's what happens on the street street shit so we need to we need to accept it on those terms
0: well and you know in in this day of social media all these different platforms Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, whatever the ones I haven't. Mm-hmm. There's, it, It's interesting to me, I don't spend nearly as much time on there as I used to, but it's easy to get sucked down into the rabbit hole from time to time. But one of the things that I'll challenge people on is, is watch any thread. It doesn't matter if it's on Facebook if, or if it's on Twitter, somebody can say something really positive Right, and it usually only takes three to five comments before it goes the complete opposite direction. So by the time you get to like uh, thirty comments down, it's everything is devolved into an argument, and right. generally the argument is no longer even um, anything re- related to what the original quote might have been or what the right. topic might have been. Now some of the, you know some people just throw stuff out there just to stir the pot, but it just you know, so it's it's a great example. You know, police officers have experienced this from day one. Like it's it, it, like right. this contraintuitive type of approach that people take, and you know, just extreme lack of accountability or any you know refusal to take any responsibility for you know for actions. And that's uh, you know, that's that's something something I think we're again cops. I think have an advantage over the general population because. They see it more frequently, and for young cops, especially if you come from a from a fairly guarded environment, right. when you get exposed to that at first, it can be it can be kind of it can be difficult uh, to to overcome.
1: Yeah, and you know the I, I just got done teaching a, a group of um, new hires. They just got out of the academy, and they're getting ready to come work for our agency. So I sit them down. And I'm like, "All right, guys, I'm about to." tell you some stories from the street and tell you about stoicism and you know we start talking about i i start out by talking about you know generational issues and some of the stuff that we're dealing with you know and I, in the front row there's a kid sitting there and he's got a baby face and i'm like all right who, who's the youngest you know and he i could already see him looking down and, mm-hmm. and you know uh he, he just starts shaking his head and i said hey man don't worry i'm not going to talk your generation you know are you you know are you worried about that you know and he said oh no 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 i'll talk about them too you know they're they're weak and uh and so well you know you're here right like you you know what this is like you're uh in this day and age with everything that's in the media and everything going on you have the courage to sign up to do this job and so yeah i agree with you you're probably not one of them and uh you probably are you know standing apart, and a lot of times, you know, he was so happy to hear some of the stoic things about, you know, uh, take responsibility for your own actions, and no, we're not going to be offended by every little thing, and, uh, you know, what somebody else thinks, that's their business. So, like, like hearing all these things and understanding, like, our culture was one of, you know, we're going to be a little tougher, we're going to be a little more resilient, we're going to be a little more responsible he was actually heartened by that, you know? And I, th- I think a lot of them, they crave it so bad. It, 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 they, nobody is telling them, you know, they're responsible for anything or, uh, you know, when they screw up, they know they screw up, but they don't get any kind of correction. Nobody wants to say anything. Everybody is so hands-off that they appreciate truth uh, to a degree that other generations don't, you know, they, would you think maybe you're criticizing them a little bit, and they actually appreciate it because you're being honest with them, and they don't get a lot of honesty?
0: Yeah. Wow. That yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. And that that, that could take us down a like a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to try to avoid it.
1: <laughs> right. No. <laughs> no. It, we we have multiple rabbit holes to step around here.
0: Yes. <laughs> But you know, it's it, for those, and, and I've talked a lot about this for those of us inside this. And I'm, I'm guilty of this. I have not been an advocate for people that I that are closest to me to come into the profession. Right. Like I, I haven't been the one going out and saying, "Hey, you should do this." Now, if somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm thinking about this," yeah, I, I'm generally very candid with them. And I'll tell them exactly what I think, but, I, but I'm not discouraging. I, I wouldn't tell them not to do it, right? Um, but I don't ne- necessarily actively go out and try to find people. And and the interesting thing, uh, the, uh, the quandary that puts us in in policing is that when I ask a lot of, of chiefs and other, other people in the profession about that too, like, would you advocate for your own children to enter the profession? And almost everybody is saying no. And, you know, conversely. They're really just saying, please go do anything but this. Right. So it's really like the concept of safetyism is on full display right there. Like, I don't want you to be exposed to things that are going to be difficult and dangerous right. and challenging. And, you know, it's it's almost like we're denying a generation of, of the hero's journey.
1: Like, exactly. Of- exactly. And yeah, you know, that. To take the hardship from them, to protect them from everything, they how are they supposed to develop? How are they supposed? You can't, you do not get experience by proxy, right? You can't hear my war story and get the same experience that I got from that war story. Uh, Or else, like everybody who came out of a police academy would be like a 10-year vet because all the war stories they hear, right? Right. (laughs) You. You have to 20 year bet
0: because half the yeah. shit they are hearing isn't true. Right? <laughs>
1: yeah, there <they> would be. <laughs> Depends
0: on so, how far, how much time has elapsed since. Yeah. Know, our, <laughs> the, I'm, the prim- I'm not only am I a veteran cop, but, but I'm also <laughs> Irish, right? So, yeah, right.
1: Yeah, the criminals get bigger every year and the guns <laughs> get longer. And yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, but you know, you, and that's what's happening to a lot of them. You know, they, they're going from the helicopter parents to helicopter supervision. And, uh it shows
0: and it no shows. room to make mistakes. And that, that's the problem. That, right. That's the part that society sometimes doesn't get. Is like, you're, you, know, you can't, there is no such thing as perfection. You know, there's right. the, there's the pursuit of perfection, but you're never going to get there. And we're asking, we're putting a lot of pressure on, on police officers and especially young police officers to mm-hmm. be perfect. And then we're filming right. them the whole time. And then right when, you know, when there's a mistake, it's, Gotcha.
1: Exactly. You know, and it's, you, you know, I wonder if people realize how much, you know, they're only paying these officers because you're expecting Jason Bourne and you're expecting <laughs> Locke, you know, the lawyer, and you're expecting, you know, Sylvester Stallone and, you know, Mike Tyson, all in one, uh, as far as, you know, capabilities and you're, paying them like 40 something thousand dollars a year you know you want them to be like a legal scholar and a badass and, be and able to you're making them work and, midnights
0: for 20 yeah, years you know, like, <laughs> no sleep on top of that
1: like you know whatever happened to you get what you pay for you know <laughs> like it, you're not you're not paying for that guy and it, you know good thing because you know we can't produce those people not without i mean we we can you know after 10 or 15 years a cop can be to a very high level but it's going to take a lot of mistakes to get them there. They are going to learn a lot of things the hard way before they become that person. And if we hammer them to death because of the, you know, body camera views and, you know, just litigiousness, they'll never get there, you know, either they'll quit or they'll get terminated. So.
0: Yeah. And good luck living in a city that doesn't really support its police. I think we're seeing, we're seeing firsthand um, and it's it's kind of interesting to me to watch how people try to make excuses for what's happening in these cities like mm-hmm. like, oh well, you know, just give it some more time. It's like, yeah, yeah, we can give it more time to watch <laughs> right. it get worse yeah and, and we will um anyway, I digress, but that's kind of like but the hero's journey, right that's kind of where like a story like you know a guy like Jocko seemed to have figured it out really really early on in life and then right. just you know, just kind of like picked away at it where, you know, interestingly enough, another Navy SEAL like David Goggins came to it from a completely different, sure uh, what, you know, pathway where he, you know, just had a very difficult childhood. And, you know, I think he would be the first one to, that would tell you that he made a lot of excuses for himself. Right. And, you know, right. he was taking the easy path. And I still remember, you know, him telling that story in a, in his first book where, you know, he found himself, he's, he had, you know, been serving at a very high level in the Air Force and then got out. And Now he's right. He's working for a pest control business. Fell you off. Know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> spraying for roaches, you uh-huh. know, working the midnight shift. He, you know, he ballooned up to 300 right. pounds. And when people look at him today, they think, oh, my gosh, um, no way. Right. It, it, you know, and that's always the interesting thing as well, is that people, when they when they see the end result, they don't appreciate the journey. Correct. They don't appreciate everything that it took for him to get where he is. And mm-hmm. so now for a guy like Goggins, who maybe in his youth made a lot of excuses to himself, you know, at, at some point when he had that realization and stopped making excuses, right. he ultimately began to understand what his true potential was yeah. and that there, there really were no boundaries. And that's and that's kind of a, it's it's a everybody's going to get to that lesson in a little bit different way. And I don't know that we ever get there entirely. I think we're, we're all learning as we go. Right. But interesting juxtaposition.
1: Yeah. And I, and I really enjoy, you know, about him and something i try to take from him is, you know, about telling your story warts and all, you know, don't, he doesn't try to make himself sound like anything other than he is. And, you know, he, he talks about how he was in that victim mentality for a long time and how he clawed his way out of it. And, uh, you know, I really, I really appreciate that about him, you know, because he doesn't, he doesn't tell that myth of, Oh, I've just been this amazing person the whole time and look at me, how great I am. It's, you know, I was, I was nothing. And I very slowly methodically built my way up. And that's what people need to hear is that it is possible through hard work.
0: Yeah. And I know there's all, you know, it's always interesting, like once, you know, once people build themselves up to then then people just try to tear them right back down. And, you know, right. and it's, it's that external, you know, I think even in his own community, you know, he's a pretty controversial type right. of figure just because of how outspoken he is and 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 what he does for a living now. But, you know, you can't deny, regardless of what you think about him, right, you can't deny that his efforts have, have paid off, right? Like he is, you know, and he, you know, he's got a great message that he shares with others and there's a lot of inspiration. If you allow it, um, you can, you can really learn a lot from, from people like him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just think about, you know, if if I could ever inspire 1% as many people as David Goggins has, like I will consider it a, a life well lived, you know, I mean, he's, so many people have started their journeys because of him. So
0: speaking of David Goggins, right, you know, what, what's he do? He just he he runs these endurance races. And if, for those that haven't read his story, go out, you know, he's got a couple of different books. Um, in his first book, he kind of tells the story of, about, you know, how he became a Navy SEAL, some of the things mm-hmm. he overcame, but then also how he became an endurance racer. Right. And like uh, where, he, you know, he's just like, oh, well. I, once he developed that mindset, well, I can pretty much do anything. You know, he convinced himself to do things that he probably shouldn't have done, but he did anyway.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, I, you know, uh, you know, run a hundred miles. Okay, I can run a hundred miles, and then mm-hmm. just going out to a track and just running around it for a day. You know, like twenty-three yeah. <laughs> hours straight. You know, giving himself, you know, fractures in both his shins and yeah. you know, pissing blood for a couple of days. Like, uh, yeah. all right, well, maybe maybe that wasn't smart, but. So you on your own journey, like when you started down this, sto- this path of stoicism, you decided to say, hey, like, I'm going to I'm going to take no days off. I'm going to run every day. Tell us. Tell us what that was.
1: Sure. So uh, part of it, you know, it's not something I invented. Uh, it, uh, I, I read uh, Cameron Hayes' book, uh, Indoor. And oh,
0: yeah. uh, I got that one right here, too. I love that book.
1: So he talks about applying endurance sports and, you know, working out towards bow hunting. And uh, I was like, you know what? That's pretty brilliant. You know, I, I go out, I do uh, covert operations. I dress in plain clothes and get out on foot quite often and, or on bike. And I uh, just follow people around and basically wind up chasing burglars all through the city at night. And I was like, you know what? I could apply, endurance sports to what I do too right because I'm often on foot chasing somebody who's on a bike or having to run down somebody who's literally half my age you know and uh less than half my age so well you know I I had already been running a little bit you know just uh following stoicism and all that and I was getting into the idea of intentionally doing hard things or undergoing difficulties on purpose to just build up your resiliency and to make yourself a little bit tougher. So I said, like, you know what? Great idea. It all just clicked challenge accepted. So I'm just going to run every single day. And you know, one of the things cam says is, you know, your body will give you what you expect out of it or what you ask out of it, but it will only give you what you ask out of it. So I, I, Said, all right, let me see if that works for me. And I just dedicated myself to running every single day. And it doesn't matter if it's raining, it doesn't matter. There was a hurricane one day, I ran in that Christmas morning. If it's cold, if it's my anniversary, if it's my birthday, uh, you know, actually on special occasions, I'll go a little harder and do extra, you know, because that's when you want to take the day off, right? It's, oh, it's my birthday, you know, I deserve a treat. No, you, that's when you want to go harder, right? You want to, when you feel like you need a break or when you need that, you know, little, it's a special day, treat yourself special by doing more and making yourself better. That's how you treat yourself special. So yeah, I started doing that and uh, it's paid off. You know, I lost a lot of weight. I've uh, I've really started... Uh, being able to do a lot more things with the officers that work for me, you know? So I, because I go out and run in the rain or run any elements, usually like five hours before work, I've already been up and put myself through the ringer. So, you know, if one of my cops is like stuck on a perimeter, it is nothing for me to go replace them because, you know, standing in a rain for five minutes is nothing to me at that point. I've already been through so much more or, you know, when my boss like starts asking me to do stuff, uh, nothing they can ask me to do is going to be any harder than what I've already voluntarily put myself through that morning. So but by raising the bar intentionally, like you get a lot of benefit out of it. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm going for a year at this point. Uh, it, it won't be too long. I only got a couple months to go and uh, I probably won't quit there. You know, I'm 46 years old. I, I just hit 46. I, I am five foot five, I naturally predisposed whatever. My body wants to be fat. Like I could, I could walk past a pizza (laughs) place and gain 10 pounds just by smelling it. Um, So I, you know, running is not my gig, but uh, you know, I want to, I want to show that you don't need rest days. You don't need all that recovery time. All your limitations are in your head. And if you would just believe for a second that you that you can get out there and you can push past, you know, all these little bullshit uh, limitations that you're imposing upon yourself. Like you'll find out you're capable of doing a lot more. And uh, for me, you know, you say you meditate every day uh, and you, you spend time doing that. When I go out and run in nature, that that's my meditation. That's where I find that my clarity and my headspace is uh, on my daily run. So it, it has a lot of benefits and uh, I, I enjoy it.
0: Well, there's a lot of psychology behind that too. The challenges like that, um, the the which is awesome. I, I'm really proud of you for doing that because oh, you. you learn you learn a lot when you do stuff like that. Um, and you know, this summer I'm actually helping at my son's high school doing some strength conditioning stuff in, in the mornings with uh, with their with all the high school athletes. And Monday morning, you know, it's cold. It's a little bit rainy. Right and you, you could just tell the vibe, like, uh, I don't know. I just don't want to be here. Right. Like, right. I, you yeah. d- or should we be out here? It's raining. Uh, <laughs> should we be out in the rain? It's just like, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, you're not made the, out of
1: sugar. You know This like, is the on.
0: best time to train. Right. <laughs> right? This is yeah. like, you know, especially, you know, it's like, I, I sure don't want to hear any of the football players complain, right? Like, Oh, well it's, it's cold and rainy today. Oh, well let's cancel the game. Right. right. You know, that's just not how life works. But, um, you know, the, the more recent challenge I did was the, just, uh, last year I did, uh, the, a cold shower. I did the Wim Hof cold shower stuff. He's got, uh, if you can, if you jump on his app, you can do, it's like eight weeks where you do cold showers every day. And, at, okay. you know, the first time you jump into a cold shower, uh, there, and there's, I won't, I'm not going to go into all the physiology on this podcast about why, you know, cold exposure can be very mm-hmm. beneficial to, Uh, emotional regulation and just, you know, recovery and a lot of other things. But, um, you know, imagine, you know, right now, if you haven't taken a cold shower in a long time, just turning Mm -hmm. the water on as cold as it can be, and then stepping right into that shower that like, you know, that'll wake you up. It'll suck the air right out of you. You get, (laughs) you know, you get that big adrenaline dump. Um, so, but by 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 the end of 8 weeks when you do that when you gradually just at the end of your shower turn it on for 10 seconds and then and then go to 20 seconds and then go to 30 seconds and after 8 weeks you could you can step into a cold shower like yeah. you can just step into it and most people would think like oh my there's just no way i can't do it right and I'm, why would anyone do that uh and you know for a couple reasons one because just just the idea and the thought and this is, this is kind of one of the things that's always motivated me. It's like just the idea and the thought of like me telling myself, Oh man, I don't want to do that. Or I I can't yeah. do that. It's like, right. well, shit, now I got to do it. Like, cause right. now do, some, otherwise, do something I that scares like, you.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this year was the, I did a uh, cold plunge for 90 days. And, oh, nice. uh, I, you know, I love it. Now it's gotten too warm. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. pointless at this point, but now I've got to, um, um, I'm going to kind of build my own, you know, I got a, you know, buy a chiller and I've been looking at these homemade formulas, but you know, at the end of December up here in Indiana, um, it oh, was pretty yeah. damn cold. Right. So there were days, <laughs> there were days where, um, before I bought, I bought a little de-icer, I would have to knock the ice out of that thing, break it up and go outside when it's zero degrees and it's windy and go out in my backyard and dunk myself, you know, in my bathing suit and dunk into that cold (laughs) water. (laughs) It doesn't seem like that's a really smart thing to do. And I think people look at you like, what the hell? But, you know, and I've had a lot of people ask me like, what, what was the most difficult thing or what do you think you benefited the most from it? Mm -hmm. And I, while I, you know, if you read uh, Susanna Soberg's work, about cold exposure and about activating brown fat and and things. There's a there's a there's physiology behind why you should right. do something like this. But for mm-hmm. me, the biggest benefit was uh, number one. You know, you want to talk about uh, like in a, like an energy activation system. Yeah. Like, like there's nothing's and if you'll get it for a couple of hours, like mm-hmm. I mean, you're just it'll wire you up for a couple of hours. But the discipline. Of going out and doing something hard like that every day, psychologically speaking, was, was the biggest benefit that I got from it. (laughs) And so going back and then, and it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily associating it with some of the stoicism that I had been reading, but I had one day when I was literally sitting out there, like trying to get to, you know, trying to get to the point where, all right, 30 seconds. The first day I got to a right. minute, the second day within, within three or four days, I got to two minutes and, and then it was like, okay, well, how long can I, can I go? And so the, yeah. like one day, like within the first, within the first month, I got up to 11 minutes Wow, where where I sat at then. Now I realize, you know, and then listening to some of Andrew Huberman's work, he's like, you uh, know, like 12 minutes per week is really the maximum effective <laughs> dose. Anything above that there's, you know, there's, the data is not really suggesting that you're there's added benefit so i'm like okay well maybe maybe i'm going too far but for me yeah. it was just the idea of doing it and right. trying to trying to convince myself that that i can do something hard
1: well yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of value in that right and you know just deciding you're going to do something hard than actually doing it right because so many people these days just talk about what they're going to do or you know, you know, they say, oh, I ought to, and they never follow through. And, you know, just doing that, you know, the sense of pride you have in yourself is you know, just worth doing it by itself. And, you know, I've done the cold shower thing. And I, th- I think like to me, my experience was, um, you know, it is one of the easiest ways to introduce panic into your, into your psyche, right? Like you can just hop in there and you want to panic, you want to pull away, you want to jump out of that shower. And, making yourself breathe and calm down and stay in the moment and stay in that shower even though you know it's, it's cold and you're you're freaking out a little bit is a great exercise for police officers because that's what happens like we we go from zero to a hundred just like that and you know you have to realize like the difference between a a good street cop and one who's kind of a mess is somebody who can recognize when they're panicking or when they're in that moment and then can take steps to calm themselves down and still perform under pressure. And that is a great way to put yourself into that. Just low cost, uh, low risk, like, you know, worst thing you do is fall on your butt in the shower, you know, like, uh, you, you know, nobody, nobody loses their life, but you can introduce that panic into your mind and learn how to control it Uh And that's something you can just do at home and nobody's judging you. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's listening to you on the radio. You're not getting an evaluation at the end of the year. It's you against you. And if you can do that, if you can learn how to take that breath and calm down, just, you know, when you get hit with that cold water, next time you're under a situation at work where, oh shit, you know, something's happening. You'll recognize that sensation. Oh, that's the panic what did I do when I was in the shower? I breathed, you know, I took a breath and I told myself it was going to be okay. And it was so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now the one caveat being that if you have certain heart conditions, then yes, it could actually kill you. (laughs) Sure.
1: I guess, I guess we have to say that. Yeah.
0: We'll Uh, say that for today. So (laughs) Before you do deliberate cold exposure, uh, make sure you understand (laughs) the risk. Uh, I'm not advocating that you, that you do it. Yeah. All right. So, um, we've been going for a while here. Let's right. w- want to wrap this up. Um, sure. we're going to have to, we're going to have to do part two,
1: Absolutely.
0: but I do want to, I do want to give you a, a quick shout out. Um, uh, his book is fantastic. Street stoic, ancient philosophy, modern policing. And, and I think anyone that's been listening already, I think is you know, going to understand the value that stoicism brings. and. I really do appreciate all the work that you've put into this book. So what what um, what else do you have uh, that for people that are interested in your work or interested in stoicism, you know, where else can they find uh, can they find you?
1: Absolutely. Um. So I try to approach it from a few different ways. And my mission in life is just to get stoicism into the hands of many law enforcement officers as humanly possible. Like that's what I care about. Uh, So if you buy the book, great, you know, it helps support the cause. It's available on Amazon prime. You can have it pretty much the next day, pretty much anywhere in the country. Uh, It's 20 bucks. It's a small investment. Uh, If you don't have the money or you don't want to buy a, buy anything, that's fine too. I have a free website for all police officers. uh, It's streetstoic.com. Streetstoic.com. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to enter your email. There's no fees associated with it. And there I have links and articles and resources and just everything you can imagine to get you started. So if if you don't get it from me, get it somewhere. I link to other places. Um, I've partnered with a friend who has a podcast, uh, Bryce Lee. He runs a podcast called The Stoic Sentinel, and he and I together uh, we do a newsletter. Uh, so it's a weekly newsletter it's called bravo one or uh, uh and basically it's just a weekly newsletter that we we take turns you know we alternate weeks writing the articles and we send them out to anybody who wants to sign up and uh you can find the link for that on my website also streetstoic.com. uh it you know just a little something to read in your inbox whenever you have time uh, i also um I a training company, so if there's a, you know, training coordinator or chief or sheriff that says, oh, hey, I really want, you know, my officers or deputies to have the benefit of this stuff, reach out to me. Uh, my web, my email address is steve at streetsteak.com. Uh, shoot me an email. I'll be glad to work something out with you. I'm not trying to get rich. I'll probably be the cheapest training you ever book. Uh, I just, I just like, I love to come and talk. I mean, if you can't tell, I could talk about stoicism all day long. Uh, And, you know, i love to come and talk with cops and coach them and help them figure out some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, pretty much everybody I've ever talked to said they got some benefit from it. So those are all the things I'm trying to do and approach it from, you know, those three different routes.
0: That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I like to touch on a lot is you know the concept of leading yourself first. Um, you know you can't lead others until you lead yourself, and leading yourself can be the most difficult challenge. Yes. Uh, sometimes it's easy to expect more from others than it is from ourselves, and that's you know there therein lies the challenge, and I, I think therein lies the opportunity in which Stoicism can bring a lot to uh, in, improving the professional culture of police sure. departments and policing in general. You know, nothing absolutely. you know none of our problems today are new right they're they're just not we may think they there might be new little twists but it's it's on an ancient theme
1: absolutely you know and marcus aurelius you know he said uh be strict with yourself and tolerant with others and i you know that's how i try to approach my leadership and you know my dealings with other people is everybody's human not everybody has the same experience as i do and I just need to worry about myself and be, uh, you know, be the best version of myself that I can be. And if nothing else, if, if somebody else isn't living up to whatever I think they're supposed to be, you know, I could be a good example for maybe, maybe they can set their sights on.
0: All right. Let's end it on that. Sure. Be strict with yourself and tolerant of others. Mark, ancient, ancient wisdom from Marcus Aurelius. All right. Thank you. Steve, appreciate you uh, spending some of your valuable time with us. This has been an awesome episode. Uh, Looking forward to maybe doing this again in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, everybody. Until the next time, we'll be 1042. The Coptimizer podcast is powered by Performance Protocol. Performance Protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? one-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable and confidential most importantly they get results why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field unleash your full potential today and get started with performance protocol remember performance is the goal protocol is the path log into www.performance-protocol and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.